Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. And on the line with us is Batamia Coronel, the senior national organizer with Climate Justice and the Center for Popular Democracy, populardemocracy.org and cpdaction.org. Are the websites popdemoc on Twitter and cpdaction on Twitter. Uh, Batamia, welcome to the program. Tell us about the Day of Action. Today is Earth Day. Tell us what you're all doing. What's planned? Yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. Today is Earth Day, as you said. What better way to celebrate our Earth than to bring uh, the energy that we need directly to the White House to push and encourage our at the Biden administration, the Senate, Congress, to pass the historic federal legislative package that we've all been waiting for. We're hoping to get thousands of people in Lafayette Park to, yeah, to bring the message loud and clear to President Biden and the rest of Congress. We want and we need investment in equitable transition to renewable energy. We want and need dignified union jobs. We need reduced costs of essentials such as drugs, schooling, health care. We need improved conditions and pay for care workers. And we need to be cleaning up the toxic air and water pollution in frontline communities. And we hope to, to really hear from the White House that they're ready to deliver on the promises that they ran on in 2020. So, Batamia, it sounds like what you're describing is Build Back Better. And that legislation you know, passed the House of Representatives. Um, but it couldn't get past Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, and every single Republican in the United States Senate. There is, you know, there are stories out there that Joe Manchin's willing to negotiate. He's willing to, to give a little if he gets a little, and God only knows what he wants to get. Is that what you're talking about? Let, let's resume negotiations with Manchin, and maybe we can bring along another Republican so we can get around Cinema. Or is there brand new legislation coming out of the House? Or are you talking about things like executive orders? What specifically are you looking for? Yeah, I think we're talking about all of that. You know, we've seen, as you mentioned, the Senate has stalled this process for months, and we can call it whatever you want to call it, Build Back Better whatever it is that you want, that folks want to call it, but we just know that we need those investments and we, we needed them yesterday. Um, and we're really calling on uh, the president and the Congress to, we know that the window of time to get this passed is maybe latest through the summer. And 
uh, we're waiting. We're, we're, we're waiting. We need it to pass. We're bringing the energy. We backed um, the Biden in the election. We're ready to do it again. But we need this to pass. And uh, we need them to do whatever it takes. If that means that the president leans in on executive orders, um, then that's that's how they should do it. But we're, so we're here to say do whatever it takes to get it done. Yeah, whatever it takes. So you're you and, and your friends and associates and, and people associated with climate justice and the Center for Popular Democracy, you're going to be in Washington, D.C. making these demands. What can the average person who's watching or listening to our program right now, what can they do to help or support? Yeah, definitely join us if you're able to live in D.C. We still have bases on buses coming from cities across the country, all across the East Coast. So if you're uh, if you're like, I want to be there, I want to feel that energy, feel free to um, visit the Fight for Our Future landing page and you'll be able to find a bus that'll get you here for little to no cost out of your own pocket. We also have about, last time I saw the map, we have 95 distributed events across the country happening. So you can also visit our big map and see if there's anything happening locally in your city or town. And then we also have two other marquee events happening in Georgia and Arizona, those being important states coming up in the upcoming midterm elections. And we want to really show up big there um, as well. There's thousands of people registered in those key marquee actions as well. So there's a ton of opportunity to get involved. Uh, you can also follow us live. There'll be a live Facebook streaming um, on CPD if you want to access it through our Twitter channels or any other social media, you'll be able to watch it live. Um, and the, the day will be exciting. We have a, an incredible lineup of speakers, uh, everything from leaders of unions to Sierra Club to local uh, frontline community organization leaders. Um, there, there'll be musical performances and it'll be a really beautiful day in D.C. So definitely come out and support if this is also something that you want to see the White House deliver on. Very cool. And spring in D.C. is absolutely spectacular. We're talking with Batamia Coronel, who is the senior national organizer for climate justice in the Center for Popular Democracy. What's the, what are the best websites for people to visit to, to find those events that you were talking about just a moment ago? You mentioned, you know, uh, Fight for Our Future. Um, I didn't, I hadn't mentioned their website. Uh, what, what, what websites do you recommend people check out? You can definitely Google it, Fight for Our Future. You can also visit CPD. CPD's Twitter. We've been promoting the event, so Pop Democ on our Twitter handle. You can find all the information in the lead up. We'll do, we're doing a really cool Q&A this evening. So if you have questions, a bunch of our partners that are participating are going to be in real time answering questions today at seven o'clock Eastern. And that's where you can find all of our information. That is absolutely great. Batamia Coronel, the senior national organizer with populardemocracy.org and cpdaction.org and uh, Pop Democ, P-O-P-D-E-M-O-C on Twitter and CPD Action on Twitter. Batamia, thanks so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Now the question, have the Birchers won? I mean, this is how bizarre it is. There was a time, I remember in, I think it was 1963 or 64, my dad took me to a John Birch Society meeting in Lansing, Michigan. And it was just basically a bunch of, you know, suburban uh, middle-aged white guys who were, uh, you know, playing, playing poker as much as anything else. But, you know, they 
one of them gave me a copy of John Stormer's book, None Dare Call It Treason, about all the communists in the State Department. And I went home and read it, and I was like, whoa! And, you know, they were pretty freaked out about um, those commies that are trying to take down America. There was also kind of the dark underbelly to the John Birch Society, which I didn't experience with my dad. or with My dad was not a member. He, 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 in fact, when he took me uh, to this meeting, he said, you, you need to know who the crazies are, uh, or words to that effect. But in any case, uh, Buckley, back in the 60s, around that same time, William F. Buckley was trying to derail the John Birch Society. On the other hand, you know, Fred Koch, the, the godfather, the, the, the patriarch of, the, of that family, um, was helping to fund the John Birch Society. The John Birch Society's big thing back in the 60s was putting up billboards saying impeach Earl Warren. And that was because of the 1954 Brown versus Board uh, case. So, well, what, where are we at now? Well, the organization has made a real comeback thanks to Donald Trump. Travis Geddes is writing over at Raw Story. Um, he's, uh, he's quoting uh, this uh, fellow Trzinski who... Uh, uh, has, has written about this and, and says, looking at American politics, it sure looks like this seminal conservative achievement is unraveling. unraveling. The Birchers are back and they are winning. We have, he says, we have a conspiracy theory that explains everything, a secret cabal that controls everything from the intelligence agencies to the schools. Now, like I said, when I was a kid, the Birchers were convinced that it was the communists, principally the communists in, in Russia, in Moscow, who were, you know, the puppet masters controlling the world. Well, now it's this worldwide group of, I don't know if there's a name for it yet. And also, you know, for Hitler, it was the Jewish, the international Jewish conspiracy. And uh, of course, these people are anti-Semites as well. So is this going to work? Is it going to, uh, you know, have they taken over the Republican Party, the John Birch Society or the Birchers or these folks? Trzinski writes, from the top down, the Birchers have won. They now own the conservative movement and the Republican Party. Well, does that mean that over time they're going to have more and more power or is this the beginning of the end of the Republican Party? What say you? Remember when these two guys who were busted down at Navy Yard in these apartments down the street from where I used to live in D.C., you know, from the D.C. marina there, it turned out that they had come from Pakistan via Iran, at least one of them, and they were bribing, for two years now, they've been passing off giant bribes to members of the Secret Service, including, you know, flat screen TVs and $2,000, you know, super, super guns and, and just all kinds of weird stuff. And they had been presenting themselves as members of the Department of Homeland Security, but they had roped in, you know, now I, I guess the five or six of these Secret Service guys have been put on hold, you know, for apparently for taking bribes. And the prosecutors have been scrambling to figure out what's going on. Well, the plot thickens um, because the, 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 the Department of Justice has been so befuddled by this thing. You know, what's going on? Who's it? And, and, and the fact that two days before DHS busted these guys, before the FBI busted these guys, one of the Secret Service agents that they were bribing warned them that it was coming. So there's something really, really skeezy going on here. It was the U.S. Postal Service who actually busted them, not the FBI. And uh, although they brought in the FBI. 
And uh, yesterday, a magistrate, a magistrate judge said that uh, their behavior was sophomoric, that this was just this is the kind of thing. No, it, nobody would be stupid enough to think that they were going to actually try to, like, you know, kill the president or the vice president. Keep in mind, one of the Secret Service agents they were bribing was on Kamala Harris's detail. So this federal judge says, wow, no, nobody would seriously think that this was part of any serious plan. This was sophomoric. He said, and I quote, he said, that's not how foreign intelligence agents work. And so he let them go. I mean, they're still being charged with a crime, but, uh, you know, hey, they can go home. They don't have to post bail. Very weird. Very weird. Picking up your calls, Alex in Houston, Texas. Hey, Alex, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Well, first, thank you for putting me on to that story about those three individuals trying to destroy inter critical infrastructure. That's why I love listening to your program. I did not know about that. And uh, I'm always glad to bring it into a conversation anywhere I go out there. With that being said, um, I love the interview you did with the individual about fossil fuels and transitioning away from it. And there's a uh, thing I just learned about. It's this idea that has been present, especially in the city where I'm in, the mecca of oil and gas, Houston, Texas. It's a force that you can't see, but it exists. It is definitely there. It's the reason why I've lost a lot of friends. I simply can't be around this force. It's toxic. It's called heteromasculinity. Oh, yeah. It's the same, it was the same thing with cigarettes, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm killing myself because I'm a man. Yeah, I'm killing wow. the planet because I'm a man. <laughs> I'm serious. That's a, I did not know that. That's a, wow. I, so, I, well, okay. I'm, not, I'm not proclaiming it like, you know, somebody wrote a paper about it. I'm just, this is my opinion, Alex, but oh, it, yeah, it just seems Marlboro, to me like the same well, the, thing. I, well, you look at the Marlboro man, like it's, you know, rough and tough, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I mean, incredible. Yeah. And I, it makes sense. Um, wow. Very interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, and it's interesting because NPR, you know, they actually did a good article for once uh, on um, how in the 40s and 50s, men would, even though there were electric cars then, they preferred to take the gas car because they had a higher chance of breaking down. And if it did break down out on a date, then they got to, you know, roll their sleeves up and look tough. <laughs> and maybe impress the lady. And I think the I think it, I think it's more subtle than that, Alex. I, I you know I think that it, it's that they like the noise that cars make. I mean, I, I, I you know I, the same thing with motorcycles. I mean, I mean uh, you know I I think there's some people who really want a loud bike or they want straight pipes on their car or on their bikes so that you, you can hear them coming. Um, uh, you know, or like these these guys now who are doing the. Uh, what, there's a word coal, you know, where they where they uh, inject a little bit of diesel fuel into their engine and suddenly a big black cloud comes out the back and they they try to get in front of a Prius to do that to people. And they think that this is this is proof that I'm a man. I can do this. And really what it is is proof that you're an ass. Uh, you know. in, Houston, in Houston, they're doing that. They're terrorizing cyclists. Like, it's a lot of teenage kids and trucks that are, like, lifted. Yeah. And they, I didn't know that they put diesel. Yeah, they're doing that to cyclists, like people who are trying to commute. Yep. And they'll just sit there and spray it all over them and yep. uh, sometimes almost hurt, uh, kill them. Yeah, I would say, that, you know, there's there's three areas where we see this. And all three of them are self-destructive and and generally societally destructive. And they've all been marketed as being therefore masculine, masculine or, you know, enhancing masculinity. Now, one is tobacco, you know, and, and I, you know, I remember that back to when I was a little kid in the 50s. Um, the second, of course, is oil, what you're talking about. And, and the third is guns. 
And, you know, it's, oh, it's the wow. same thing. You know, if you've got a gun in your house, you're more likely to commit suicide with a gun. You're more likely to have a child die from a gun. You're, you're no more likely to stop a criminal. Um, but, you know, it's and so, you know, these these are three areas where masculinity has been used by these industries. You know, the, the in fact, this was the basis of the lawsuit. The successful lawsuit against Remington that just completed like a month ago was that they were marketing guns to teenagers saying, if you want to be a man, you have to have this gun. You need an AR-15. You need this gun, this particular gun to, to, you know, check your man card was the actual phrase that was used. That was the headline in the ads, check your man card. And, and you know, selling, selling masculinity with guns, selling masculinity with oil, and selling masculinity, oh, I don't, electric cars, that's for wimps. Um, and selling masculinity with, with, uh, with tobacco. Alex, you nailed it. I got to move along, but thanks very much for the call. I appreciate it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Two stories I wanted to flag for you. By the way, uh, Beto O'Rourke tweeted about this, and I retweeted his tweet. You can find it over on my uh, Twitter timeline at Tom underscore Hartman. Greg Abbott is trying to jack up inflation so that he can blame it on Joe Biden trying to jack up prices. And he's doing this by having the state police, quote, inspect, end quote, every truck coming from Mexico. Now, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Just at the FAR bridge, this is one uh, PHARR, one particular bridge, normally 3,000 commercial trucks cross that every day, 60 to $70 million a day worth of goods. And a lot of those goods, by the way, are necessary they're, they're like on their way to Detroit to be, you know, for, to be made into cars. I mean, you know, a lot of your auto manufacturers are doing much of their manufacture. Their engine blocks are coming from Mexico, for example. So Greg Abbott is trying to put a, 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 a wrench in this thing 
And he says he's doing it to punish the Biden administration for, for talking about eliminating Title 42, which is, you know, keeping immigrants out of the United States based on public health, which is just a whole other bizarre thing. But he, he claims that, you know, he's, he, we're going to disrupt the drug traffickers and the people and the human traffickers. Well, they haven't found any drugs. They haven't found any humans. Uh, what they have done, though, is for six days now that they've been doing this, they have just basically shut down commerce between the United States and Mexico along the Texas border, and it's starting to hurt. So just keep an eye on this. Republicans are trying to drive inflation as hard as they can, as fast as they can, so they can turn it into a, an election issue this fall, number one. Number two, our geeky science for the day, the Biden EPA has unveiled the first ever blueprint to actually protect endangered species from pesticides. You'll recall that when Donald Trump became president, there was a particularly nasty pesticide that had been banned by the Obama administration. And Trump changed that, just, you know, intervened and said, oh, no, that pesticide is fine. It, it causes neurological damage to children, human children, not, not insects, children. And, you know, so for a couple of years, it was in our food supply. Well, Biden just banned it again. But now the EPA is saying that they're going to put together a plan to protect not just you and me from these pesticides, but endangered species, including a lot of insects that are on the endangered species list. This is, this is literally the first time the EPA has ever put together a comprehensive work plan on this. It's a BFD. Uh, this is, uh, in fact, uh, as one person notes, there's, there is this, um, the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act FIFRA, and the, one of the observers said, for, the, for most of the EPA's history, the agency has met these duties for less than 5% of its FIFRA decisions. And as a result, there are all these lawsuits against the EPA. Um, in fact, you know, cynics are saying, well, they're doing this because they were sued. Well, I don't care why they're doing it. I think it's great that they are doing it. So there we go. Alejandro in Miami. Hey, Alejandro, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? What's up? Yeah, I just was watching the Contagion Brown, you know, hearings, and, you know, yeah, questioning mm -hmm. and by Lindsey Graham and, and the other Republican. I forgot his name, but you know who I'm talking about. Then I just find the question so stupid and ridiculous that they ask him. I mean, it's like almost like, is Lindsey Graham an attorney? I think he said he was an attorney, but he asked questions that like... He's not just an attorney. He's a JAG Corps attorney. He's, a, he's an attorney with the, uh, with the military. I, I forget which branch, but, uh, you know, he's... he's okay. Yeah. Yeah, so he has some basic, like, like ignorance in the way he was asking questions about, oh, like in the amicus brief, he was keep trying to hammer the point of, do you agree with the positions that you made in the amicus brief? And as an attorney, no, you don't always agree with what your clients, like, you have to make the arguments for your client in their best interest. You don't necessarily agree with those arguments, right? You're just making those arguments because that's, you're trying to be a zealous advocate of your client, so you have to make the best argument possible. It doesn't mean that just because you make those arguments in court and you sign the document, yes, you sign it a court right. that I wrote those, uh, you know, that, the, those arguments, it doesn't mean that I personally believe those arguments. I don't have to personally believe any of those things. I'm just arguing that's the best case scenario for my client. I have to make those arguments because if she's representing people who in Guantanamo, that's the arguments that she has to make. Yeah, and so, this, is, this is why there's not a single defense lawyer on the Supreme Court right now. You've got three prosecutors. Sotomayor, Alito, and somebody else. I'm sorry, I forget the third. And, and everybody else is a corporate lawyer. 
Um, because, you know, if you're looking at prosecutors and corporate lawyers, you know, they're, they're, there's nothing to pick on them about. But if you're looking at defense lawyers, oh, my God, you defended a rapist? Oh, my God, you defended a killer? You, Oh, my God, you defended a burglar? I've, I've, well, that's what defense lawyers do. Well, exactly. It's the ridiculous. It's the same thing like with the Atticus Finch story, right? You yep. remember that story? With oh, yeah. Atticus Finch? It's the stupidity of it. Of course, so we have to always, like, like we have to do the dirty job sometime of representing unsavory characters yeah. and clients. We cannot, that's not immoral for us to do that. That's, a, that's a, I would say, a necessary requirement in a fair legal system that we have lawyers representing everybody, even Absolutely. the child rapists. Everyone Absolutely. needs a fair trial. So anyone Absolutely. who tries to morally accuse of anyone of being you know, morally repugnant because of that is, is, is being very ignorant about how our legal system works. And, of and, course, I'm also equally, yeah, well, I was going well, to say I'm also equally appalled that he asked religious questions about her faith, which is also, un, you know, um, inappropriate and unwarranted also. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. When they asked Amy Coney Barrett about her faith, it was uh, because she had grown up in a cult and because she had um, come out openly in against, you know, in saying Roe v. Wade should be overturned based on her faith. Um, but uh, also John Cornyn apparently uh, just, you know, went down a weird rabbit hole. He used to be the, the you know, the attorney general for the state of Texas, you, you would think he would know better. But Alejandro, I'm, I'm with you on this 100%, and I, I think it's just uh, deplorable, absolutely deplorable what, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the Republicans, they got a grandstand. They're, they're all desperate to get a two-minute or, or even a, a 20 or 30-second soundbite that can be used by Fox News. That's what's going on right now. They are desperate to get their Fox News soundbite. And they don't care what happens before it. They don't care what happens after it. They don't care what the response to it is. They just want that Fox News soundbite. Alejandro, thanks for the call. It's always great to hear from you. Henry in Fairview, Oregon. Hey, Henry, what's on your mind? Tom, I think you're kind of misleading people a little bit about Biden and his, you know, his infrastructure tour that he's on right now to try to lift his numbers. And, I, you know, I, I do agree with you about, about the fact that, you know, he's getting a, a bad rap about the employment numbers. Yes, they are historical. And they should be prominently uh, displayed. And that is true. But I think that it is failed leadership and it is failed messaging because the problem is that he, you know, he didn't pass. He didn't get BBB passed, uh, the better, the BBB passed. And he didn't, he didn't also, get BBB passed, Henry, because you had 100 percent, all 50 of the Republicans in the United States Senate we're dancing to the tune of the fossil fuel industry. Right. This is the most corrupt, get, bought off political that, party in the history of the United voting. States. They are embracing also, open fascism. They are trashing right. gay people and we trans also, kids. They have no, no shame whatsoever, these people. And, and you not. want to talk about Joe Biden, you know, messing up? Take it someplace else. Bobby in La Puente, California. Hey, Bobby, what's on your mind today? Well, the messaging, you know, the, you know, what I'm going to talk about, McCarthy running to Mar-a-Lago, man, you had me fall out of my chair. And I was going to ask, I wonder if he put chapstick, McCarthy. You know, <laughs> I have no respect for those <laughs> brown nose brigade, brown nosers, that's all they are. Yep. You can tell where they're at by walking. Hey, what's that brown spot? Anyway, the messaging. Tom, did you remember that film, John Doe with Gary Cooper? I, I never saw it, Bobby. I'm sorry. You never saw it. Uh, I'm Two not a bombs, big movie right person. Hobos. Yes, the, the the paper it was a paper newspaper. They got these two guys, build them up. Gary Cooper as a candidate. Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck. 
all over the country like Trump did, promising mm-hmm. this, promising that, but the people believed it. Now, what I'm saying, what Biden has accomplished has to be put out there. Otherwise, nobody knows. You said 70% doesn't know, not aware? That's right. That the majority crazy. of Americans don't know that we have gained jobs since Joe Biden came into office. And we've gained more jobs and we've had a, a higher growth in GDP than basically, you know, with a, with a couple of one-year exceptions, basically in, in the history of the United States. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely mind-boggling. So, Bobby, I'm, I'm with you, and thank you so much for, for pointing that out. It's spot on. Very, very well said. Ruth in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Hey, Ruth, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, somebody keeps telling me that the Fed is uh, screwing the people in the U.S. by printing more money, and he calls it counterfeiting, and that it causes inflation, and the working people will never get ahead. And so, and, and I just, I said, oh, I got to ask Tom. And see what he says. <laughs> yeah, the Fed oh, controls our money supply. The, the Fed controls how much money is in circulation. And during the, the crash of 2008, the, you know, the, the Bush crash, and, and also during the, the pandemic, the Fed increased our money supply, printed more money, you could say. And you, you can build a, an argument that printing more money will lead to inflation. It's almost certainly not what is leading to the inflation we're experiencing right now. That has to do with supply shocks. It's, it's called supply demand. You know, the, the, there's more demand right now than there is supply, and it's because we had we were shut down for two years. Uh, a great analogy is World War II, where there were for four years we we basically didn't make consumer products, and and you know products were rationed. I mean, literally, you know, you couldn't buy nylon stockings or blue jeans because all that production, clothing production, for example, was going to making uniforms and parachutes and things. And so after the war, there was an inflation. It lasted for a couple of years and then it washed out of the economy. And, and in my opinion, that's what's going on right now. Although you've got a whole bunch of, of the other problem that we have, and, and this is what I would tell your friend, um, the other problem that we have is that you've got such monopoly power now in the United States. There are no more, you know, there, there's not a single industry out there that any longer is seriously competitive. You've got, you've got uh, you know, a, a handful, just a small handful of companies that control the airline industry, that call, control the telecom industry, that control the cell phone industry, that control the, the uh, uh, you know, ISP industry, that control the pharmaceutical industry, that control the health insurance industry, that control the supermarket industry, that control the meatpacking industry. They, I mean, I could go on, right? There's a small handful of them, and they operate together. And, and the oil companies, we're seeing this right now in a big way, and they're all engaging in price gouging because now they can get away with it and they're using the excuse of the demand caused inflation. But the amount by which the Fed increased our money supply was not anything close to enough to produce the kind of inflation that we're experiencing right now. It might arguably have produced a little less than a 1% inflation, but it, it was not that substantial given the number of dollars, you know, the, the, the over $100 trillion of dollars that are in circulation all, all around the world. It was a, a relatively small and incremental change. So the, the big problem that you've got is monopoly, greedy corporations, and this demand shock. And by the way, the demand shock is going to get worse. You've got, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is going to cause a spike in food prices worldwide over the course of the next two or three years. 
the uh, the, the oil shocks right now are, are going to continue probably to maintain high oil prices. And there, there was one other thing that I think was going to add to the inflation. Oh, well, the, uh, right now, the, the virus in China, uh, Shenzhen, for example, which is one of China's major manufacturing cities, it's, it's just over the harbor from, uh, from Hong Kong, is completely shut down right now. Uh, like things, consumer products that you would buy, everything from toys to, to, uh, to pads to computers, they're not being manufactured and they're not going to be being shipped. And so we're going to start seeing shortages and thus uh, spikes in prices for all kinds of consumer goods coming up over the next six months as a consequence of the way China has handled the coronavirus by, by clamping down on it and, and shutting down productions in cities rather than you know, vaccinating everybody with an effective vaccine. So that's what's going on, Ruth. It's not the Fed. Uh, you know, right-wingers love to bash the Fed. It's a simplistic view that simply betrays their lack of understanding about how the economy actually works. Ruth, thanks a lot for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's pick up your phone calls. Will in Houston, Texas. Hey, Will, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I just wanted to say, in regards to the January 6th episode, until recently, I was believing that it was the right wing the Republicans and Fox, that whole group that were perpetuating that big lie that, you know, nothing was done and it was all patriotic behavior. But I'm starting to think, based on the time for, time that has passed, and we're getting so close to the midterms, it's it, it starting to appear, appear to me that the, the committee with the investigation for January 6th is just a big dog and pony show that the Democrats really don't have any real commitment in, in bringing any type of charges against Trump because they've had all the tools that they needed, um, very much so in the beginning, and nothing has been done. And the closer we get to the midterms, 
definitely nothing will be done if the Republicans get both uh, chambers of the House. And the well, I think House. you're right on that, Will, but I don't I don't share your your more generalized cinema cynicism. They've they've got over 800 uh, witnesses who have testified before the committee. They've compiled massive amounts of data. Uh, several people on the committee have said that they clearly have enough evidence to to you know bring an indictment against Donald Trump. But I think that they all understand that no matter what happens in a court, the court of public opinion is the place where it's really it's going to be decided, you know, where where Trump's fate and future is going to be decided. It's got the American public has to realize that this guy tr committed a crime against the United States and tried to steal an election and and is continuing to commit that crime. And if we, you know, and, and the only way to do that is to have public hearings. And if you had public hearings right now in the middle of this war in Ukraine, it would be a mess. And I think that there uh, is just me speaking. I mean, I, I've not heard this from any Democrats in Congress. But um, and, and 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 if they do it in May and June, you know, just before su summer break. But, you know, hopefully after things are resolved in Ukraine, I think that, the, you know, that's going to percolate. That's going to be I think it's going to have an effect on the election in the fall. I think you're going to hear Republicans saying, oh, this is just a stunt. Yeah, well, it, it just appears to me that there won't be any success in, in prosecuting Trump at the rate that they're going. Yeah. And like I said, the closer we get to the midterms, it, it'll definitely be a wrap. As well, far as we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, they uh, uh, Merrick Garland now has a grand jury looking into Trump, too. And that's pretty serious stuff. So I'm I'm not quite as as, as uh, whatever the word is, schadenfreude here, as you are, Will, but uh, I, that's not the word, actually. But I get what you're saying. How longer is the uh, Donald Trump power, as it were? How much longer is he going to have any power at all in the Republican Party? This is fascinating. You know, Frank Luntz just came out. Frank Luntz is not going to be any you know, good buddy with Donald Trump any day soon. He just came out and said that Republican leaders are laughing at Trump behind his back. Now, I can't think of anything that would make Trump crazier, but uh, Luntz was talking to the Daily Beast, to uh, a reporter at the Daily Beast, and Sununu, during the Gridiron Dinner event, was, this, was one of the speakers, and he said of Trump, he's effing crazy, only he actually said the word. He said, I don't think he's so crazy that you could put him in a mental institution, but I think if he were in one, he ain't getting out. And everybody laughed. And Frank Luntz said, I don't know a single Republican who is surprised by what Sununu said. He said what they are thinking. They won't say it in public, but behind his back, they think he's a child. They're laughing at him. That's what made it significant. So the question in my mind is, number one, how much longer is Trump going to last as a Republican or as the leader of the Republican Party? You know, how much longer are Republicans going to continue with their, their bowing down to him? But question number two when Trump completely fades, and I, I predict he will over the course of the next two years, when Trump completely fades, is he going to be replaced in the Republican universe by another authoritarian neo-fascist, as I, I personally believe John, uh, Josh Hawley and Tom Cotton would be at the top of the list for that? Or is he going to be replaced by an old-fashioned Republican, a Paul Con Ryan kind of Republican, just basically a corrupt, you know, business guy like Mitt Romney. And I don't know the answer to that question. I could, I could build a case for either one. I, I can tell you that the 
momentum in the party right at the moment is towards fascism. But there are also voices in the party. You've got the whole Lincoln Project thing. You've got the Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. There are voices in the party who are starting to say, no, wait a minute. We're not going to go down the crazy route anymore. You know, it, it, it got us where we are, but now this QAnon cult has taken over and all these people, they're all hysterical about, you know, uh, Democrats drinking the blood of children and stuff. And it's just too over the top. So let's just go back to tax cuts for billionaires and deregulation of polluting industries. The old-fashioned Republican stuff. What do you think? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Is Trump toast? And if so, how does the Republican Party recover? Johnny in Fort Lauderdale. Hey, Johnny, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you um, started out the program talking about the big lies. And uh, one of the things that they're um, reporting to uh, young voters is that the uh, Republicans ended slavery. Um, usually, um, when I, I get that argument from someone, I say, okay, no problem. So, um, how many Republicans voted for the civil rights? And how many Confederate monuments? would you like to see come down? And I get uh, crickets. Yeah, well, they were two different parties. I mean, the radical Republicans of the 1860s, the Thaddeus Stevens and his buddies, um, these guys were Bernie Sanders progressives. I mean, you know, they, they wanted to, to transform America into a really, really positive place. And their political power didn't last much past 1872 or 1876, Understand. actually. Understand. Just want to make... One other point that I listen to the morning shows, and uh, one particular is um, a morning show that goes out to um, millions of black voters. And the host is uh, saying that uh, black people are upset with the uh, Democratic Party because they don't, you know, they didn't get what they voted for, you know. And I usually go back to um, telling them to uh, just Google Voting Accomplishments Tom Hartman on YouTube. Yeah. And you see all those accomplishments. And well, there's I actually a website it. devoted to it. And I think if you put Biden Accomplishments, that website will probably come up because it's something like, you know, it, it, it's Biden Accomplishments or what Biden has done, I think, is in the URL. It, if you just put Biden accomplishments, Tom Hartman, yeah. that YouTube of what you did came up yeah. like Good. number one. Good. And 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 I'm I'm fearing that uh, this this uh, morning talk show that goes out to millions and millions of black people, the host is saying he didn't get what he wanted, and yeah. and and that's the same. Well, he didn't get thing. all that he wanted. But, but, you know, there's the same thing that happened to Barack Obama. Yeah. People yeah. stayed home because they didn't get everything that they wanted. And now is the time on your program, Tom, is to start getting out the vote because these, this guy is, is not going to get. And he's being picked up right now by the Daily Mail, which, as everybody knows, is a right ring rag. Right. Got a, lot of, a lot of pictures, you know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you no, know, this is this is well, how they do it. This is how they do it. Yeah. Johnny, I'll, I'll I'll check that out. Thank you very much for that. It's a uh, you know it's still a long time until the election. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind? 
Hey, Tom, I'm actually going to gonna continue where Johnny left off. Um, but first, uh, you know, is there a co-equal democratic belief in some big absurdity? I would argue there is, and it is that they have to continue to play nice uh, with a bunch of clearly bad faith actors who are so hostile towards them um, when, you know, they should learn the game and say, okay, it's time for us to start eye-gouging, throat-punching, and knee-kicking. Hmm. Because the hypocrisy of everything that is done in the name of religiosity, uh, when so many of these guys have, you know, con- actual convictions for child sex crimes. You can go back to Denny Haster. You can look at that Trump campaign guy who was flying boys in from the Czech Republic. But, but even beyond that, this, this push for a theocracy, it's been my number one. Like, if I'm ever a single-issue voter, it's, it's on, you know, Jesus and my government, I want him out. And if, if anybody wants him in their private life, that's your business, but you got to keep him out of my legislature and courthouses. Yeah. But they need to go at these individual candidates, individual bills that they're trying to push through state houses that are so abundantly unconstitutional, they, they continue to seed the Constitution ground to the right. And they, they need to just make the case how this is making Madison and Jefferson and Franklin and everyone else spin in their graves, what yeah. these people are calling for. Yeah. But they, they need to take their gloves off and start swinging hard. And until they do... They're going to, despite their massive population majorities and their policy advantages that are polling very high numbers, they're going to continue to lose elections if they don't fight. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I'm not sure that that qualifies as a big lie, but I, I totally get what you're saying. And I cannot disagree with it. I, I think that yes, you are just buying into a bad idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, you know, that. I'll give to. you that. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Eric, thank you very much. Uh, Richard in San Francisco. Hey, Richard, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Uh, you bet. Uh, I want to refer back to a few minutes ago when you were talking about uh, January 6th and how the, the only thing that really matters is the court of public opinion. Right. And and I agree with you on that. But I think fundamental to really all the issues that you know we all call in and talk about and are concerned about is the fact that that court of public opinion only is in session once every two years, basically, when we have a, a general election, you know, right. notwithstanding the occasional referendum. Uh, and once every two years is the model, of course, that was established when the country was established, because that's all that we could have had, it, but uh, based on the technology. But nevertheless, because we're locked into that system, that we only get to really exercise our voices every two years, it means that the that once the minority who wants minority rule gains the system as they have, so that you know whether right. it's gerrymandering or voter suppression or whatnot, then um, they, they continue to amass more power and make it harder for the majority to have a say. So. You know, there's plenty of reform efforts going on, but there actually is uh, an initiative underway that kind of bypasses that, and mm-hmm. it's, it's not live yet. But I think it's worth what is this? About. Actually, it's the advisory vote, the advisory vote initiative, which essentially it's a different kind of voting. And what it what it says is that if someone is a registered voter, right, we could prove you're a registered voter, that registered voters can have their votes counted in between elections on issues, not about candidates, not about right. electing people. Right. You're talking non-binding referenda, sense of yes, the Senate kind of, or a sense of the populace kind of thing. 
But if you are a registered voter. Right. But these are not binding. These are not you're not creating ballot initiatives that become law. You're simply saying to your elected politicians at the ballot box periodically. This is what we believe. How is that any less vulnerable to massive spending from industries that would be impacted by it? The difference is because the counting of registered voters doesn't happen every two years where that kind of money can be focused on electing a candidate. But I remember a couple of years back when there was a ballot initiative in Washington state to put a tax on carbon. And it was a very small gesture, but it was being promoted by the governor. And we just got carpet bombed by the fossil fuel industry talking about how this is going to destroy jobs and produce inflation and ruin the state of Washington. And it went from 70, 70 plus percent approval to losing. I mean, how do you prevent that? Right. You prevent that. Again, this is a paradigm shift but because it's not based on a single referendum for a single issue. It's based on the ability of 240 el- million eligible voters or 205 million registered voters being able to pick up the virtual voting booth in their hand and weigh in on issues and when right but but i I get all that richard but how are they any less vulnerable to misinformation we'll have to do it another time then richard thank you for the call achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, let's have some fun. It's science. It's uh, it's also, you know, the middle of spring, I guess early on in spring, but we're heading towards summer and summer, at least here on the West Coast, is fire season increasingly. Last year, we had a week or so where even in our house, as buttoned up as we could make it with two air filters running full time, Louise and I were in pain, could not breathe. It's just like, what is going on? So I thought, well, let's ask one of the world's most prominent climate scientists about that. He happens to be a, a good guy and a friend and, and uh, you know, a friend of our program. Dr. Michael Mann, the Distinguished Professor of Meteorology, the Director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University, member of the National Academy of Sciences, recipient of the Tyler Prize, the author of numerous books, including his most recent, The Madhouse Effect, uh, oh, his most recent is The New Climate Wars. Uh, Michael Mann with two N's.net is his website, and you can tweet him at Michael E. Mann with two N's. Dr. Mann, welcome back. What is going on with the West Mega Drought? First of all, what is, the, what is a me- Mega Drought, and what is the situation in the West? And welcome back. Yeah, it's good to, yeah thanks. It's good to be uh, with you, my friend. And, you know, we are going into summer now. We're seeing. Uh, the, that same sort of onslaught of extreme weather events that we've come now to expect every summer. And the West Coast, of course, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, uh, last year uh, had an epic wildfire season. And in fact, California, to some extent, we don't even refer to it as having a, a fire season anymore because you can see 
uh, major wildfires now break out any time of the year. And in fact, some of the worst wildfires have happened in December. So there is now a perpetual mm. fire season as California gets drier, um, as it gets warmer. And it's not rocket science. You, you take drought, you take heat, you put them together, you get these epic wildfires like we've seen uh, here in the United States in the western U.S. Uh, or a year ago when I was on sabbatical in Sydney and bushfires were literally blanketing the entire continent of Australia. Uh, this is the face of climate change. It's not distant. It's not off in our future. Uh, it's here and it's now and it's impacting us today. Now, we know that there have been uh, throughout known human history, you know, in the last 10, 20,000 years, uh, or, or I really, I'd say 10 or fewer thousand years. But in any case, we, we know that there have been periods of sustained drought. We've found uh, abandoned cities in the Pacific, uh, or excuse me, in the southwestern United States, for example, that go back before Columbus, where there was apparently a big drought eight, nine hundred years ago, and, and it just wiped out some uh, smaller uh, civilizations or tribes, communities. Um, how... how how does that play into this? That's the excuse that's always thrown out by the climate deniers. Oh, yeah, they, you know, we've always had these kind of things going on. How does that play into this? Or is this completely disconnected from the phenomena that produced that? I mean, what, what, how do we differentiate? And, and, and talk about scale here, please. Yeah, and, and, and there is a connection. I mean, there, there are uh, sort of natural events uh, in the past where we have seen extreme uh, weather associated with natural climate variability. Uh, about a thousand years ago, the, the western U.S. was fairly dry. We think the tropical Pacific was sort of in stuck almost in the La Nina state. You have El Nino events and you have La Nina events. El Nino years are often very wet years for large parts of California. La Nina years are often the opposite, uh, drier in the western U.S. And we think that conditions about a thousand years ago we're sort of stuck almost in that La Nina state, which does lead to drier conditions in the West. Here today, we've got a double whammy. Um, we've got, uh, and, and let's provide some perspective. Yes, there were natural droughts in the past. Uh, mega drought uh, is just a very large extended drought. And there was a mega drought in the Western U.S. Uh, about a thousand years. But the tree ring experts who reconstruct past uh, drought events and can compare them with today have found that the drought that we've seen in California over the last decade is the worst on record as far back as they can go, at least 1,200 years. And so the drought we're now facing, the dryness we're now facing, is outside of the range of the natural variability that we've seen uh, over the past 1,000 years. And in this case, it's sort of a double whammy. Climate change, in a sense, might be pushing us towards a state that's sort of like that La Nina uh, state in the tropical Pacific that leads to worse drought in California. But that's on top of an overall warming and drying associated with climate change. So climate change might be giving us a double whammy that means even drier conditions out west than our climate models have predicted. Another example of where uncertainty isn't our friend. In some respects, the changes that we're seeing are greater. Um, and are happening faster than our climate models predicted. Yeah, not not good news. Dr. Mann, the source of this, the cause of all this, uh, I, you know, there, there's an absolute scientific consensus that it has to do with burning fossil fuels, and it's exacerbated by a few other chemicals, but, you know, principally carbon, carbon-based fuels. 
As a climate scientist, when you look at some of the proposals that are being put forward right now by the Biden administration for rebuilding American infrastructure, given that about half of all our carbon emissions in this country come from cars, about another quarter of them from houses, please correct me if I have any of those numbers wrong, houses and buildings, let's say. Are we going in the right direction? Are we doing anything close to enough? Do you have thoughts on this in the context of science as opposed to politics? Yeah, and so what the science tells us is that it is still possible to avert the worst impacts of climate change. We are not going to avert all damaging and dangerous climate change impacts because they're already here. On the West Coast, they're here. If you're Puerto Rico, they're here. The Gulf Coast that had a record hurricane season last year. Uh, Australia, where I was on sabbatical a year ago. Um, All around the world, we are seeing dangerous climate change impacts. And so that's already baked in. The question is, how bad are we willing to let it get? And if we act boldly and dramatically, and we bring carbon emissions down by a factor of two within the next decade, which is doable with the right incentives, we can avert the worst impacts of climate change. Now, the, the Biden plan um, is a bold plan. It's the boldest plan that we've seen by any American president so far, even more so than Barack Obama. And it comes about as close as you can come to what we might think of as the Green New Deal through executive actions alone. And obviously, to really implement a Green New Deal, we're going to need legislation. And so here, the good news is we've got an executive branch that's acting, that's come forward with a bold range of proposals that really does address those carbon emissions you're talking about. Seventy percent of our carbon emissions comes from the burning of fossil fuels for energy, for transportation, uh, for buildings. And, and, and these proposals really address that. And they also address carbon emissions in the land use sector, in the forestry sector, in the agriculture sector. So it's really a cross-government approach, and it's a bold approach. But we need to codify that in legislation because we've learned that uh, – you know, live by executive actions, die by executive actions. Anything that is passed by this administration could be undone by the next administration if um, they're no longer as um, climate friendly. If instead uh, we get another administration like the Trump administration that's simply doing the bidding of fossil the fossil fuel industry, we need to make sure we get legislation that 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 really codifies policies that you know incentivize renewable energy provide subsidies for renewable energy block new uh, fossil fuel infrastructure uh, uh, carbon pricing that's done in a just manner um that is uh, progressive rather than regressive is one of the approaches that i think is important too this is great great stuff dr michael mann thank you so much for dropping by and informing us all today i appreciate it thank you tom always a pleasure yeah, indeed. It, it truly is. Uh, it's great talking with you. And, and, I, and I know that the people who are listening value this information. Important stuff. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. Tom Hartman here. I'll be right back with you right after this. So let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Jeff in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. I don't know if you're aware that our governor, Kim Reynolds, and 25 other Republican state governors have uh, banned together to form a emergency border crisis task force. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we don't know what that means, if they're going to send last year. Uh, it means Kim just before Reynolds the election, and- they're going to perform some kind of stunt. That's what it means. 
Yeah, it's a stunt, but every news network here in Iowa is running it, and I'm sure every little paper, every Republican editorial is about the border. Yeah. 200,000 a month showing up at the border. They never say how many are expelled or deported or anything, but yeah. it's this mass open borders, all kinds of fentanyl and drugs are coming across the border, which maybe they are. But boy, is it selling here in Iowa. We see what they're going to run on, and I'm not hearing anything from any Democrats to, you know, is the border open or is it just a lot of BS? I, I, it the border is me not because, open, Jeff, I can tell you that. But that's the way it's portrayed here in Iowa, and there's no alternative to that voice. I don't have an well, easy solution for this one, Jeff. Yeah, the people in Iowa, they, the they love to have them work in their uh, meatpacking houses right. and things like that. So, Yeah, it's a tough one. You know, for many years suggested that if you want to take on this issue, the place to go is not to take on the refugee, because these are refugees by and large, not immigrants. It's not to take on the refugees themselves. It's to take on companies that employ people who shouldn't be here, but increasingly the rhetoric has gotten so hot and so hysterical, you know, since the Trump time, that this is leading us right down that Orban path. So I'm, I'm very concerned about it. Jeff, thanks for the call. Your points are very, very well taken. And I'm sorry I don't have a glib response for you. Joanne in Roseville, North Carolina. Hey, Joanne, what's on your mind today? Oh, hi, Tom. How are you doing today? Oh, fine, thank you. What's up? Good. I I'm a longtime listener. I love your show. I wanted to, to let you know that. Thank you. I called you a while ago when I lived in Bellhaven. Now I've moved to Roseville. Mm -hmm. a, a few days ago, you mentioned that we were, you mentioned your frustration as everyone seems to be frustrated with uh, Merrick Garland. And you also mentioned that he was a conservative and that he also was a member of the Federalist Society. That's my understanding. And I. Yeah, and I tried to find, I did some fact-checking to, to find something that would tell me that. Maybe you can direct me in the right direction, but I couldn't find anything that told me that he was a, had been a member of the Federalist Society. Okay. Is there something that you could help me with? I belong to a group that, you know, we kind of do political things and everything we fact-check. And that was one of the things that came up, or I presented, and no, we, we couldn't find anything. So is there a way that I can find out about him? I just, uh, yeah, Merrick B. Garland, Federalist Society. Um, it's over at the federalistsociety.org website, F-E-D-S-O-C.org. And, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's right there, the U.S. Attorney General. Well, the Federalist well, Society is bragging about it. Uh, here's, here's the link, fedsoc.org slash contributors slash Merrick-Garland. Um, that's the website. So, Joanne, good luck, and thank you for the call. Thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us. That includes you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good to yourself and the people around you, eh? And say a prayer for peace in the world. We've got a tough time here. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.